0: Back into the book of Acts this morning. Uh, I am very thankful that we finished up on uh, Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. You know, when, I, when I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to decide what book I'm going to preach through next, this is one of the texts that came up. Because, uh, I mean, it really is a difficult one to preach from and and that sort of thing. So hallelujah, we're on the other side of that now and can move on to, uh, to other things. But, you know, if there's only, there's, if there's one lesson we should walk away from Ananias and Sapphira with, and that is this, is just how serious God is about sin. And how, how much God abhors sin. How, God, how much God abhors the sin that's still in us. Oh. Uh, so anyway, we'll leave it at that and, uh, and we'll move on. Uh, so chapter 5 in Acts, uh, beginning with verse uh, 12 and, uh, and going to the end of the chapter. A lot. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest of uh, dare joined them, but the people uh, held them in high esteem and more. And more Uh, and more uh, than ever believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women so that even carried uh, some that they even carried out uh, the sick into the streets and laid them on the cots and mats uh, that as Peter came by at least his shadow might fall on some of them the people also gathered from the towns uh, around Jerusalem bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits and they were all healed but the high priest rose up and all Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, uh, we found no one inside. Surprise. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them wondering what this would come to and someone came and told them look the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people then the captain uh, with the officers went and brought them uh, but not by force for they are afraid of being stoned by the people and when they had brought them they uh, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying we strictly charge you not to teach in this name yet Here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Then God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as the leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And, when he, uh, and he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For, the, uh, for before these days, Theodos rose up, But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple... And from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as Christ. I tell you what, the word of God is so full. (laughs) It's like you could preach sermons from every word literally as i'm reading through that text i'm going you know what i didn't even cover that in my sermon i haven't given much thought to this that or that other detail etc 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 so i want to just say to you this morning we're going to preach a sermon from this part of the book of acts but it is not every sermon that you can get out of this particular passage we can we could literally spend weeks if not months just in this one chapter there he easily. One of the things I want to point out before we move on is in Acts chapter 5 and verse 11. This is the first time ecclesia appears in the book of Acts. The first time in the New Testament the church is referred to as the ecclesia. A reference to the ever-growing body of believers. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Just, uh, just remember, this is just a validation. The fact that the, the ministry of the apostles is just simply a continuation of the ministry of Jesus. They're doing many of the same things that Jesus was doing. Empowered to do those by God for a lot of reasons, but, but one of those certainly is to verify and validate that they, in fact, are the emissaries of Christ, bearing his message to the masses. It really is amazing the sorts of miracles that are being taken that are taking place now at the hands of the apostles. You ever wish just wish for one time that you could actually see something like this happen? Uh, you know, to see like as we read, the, you know, the lame man in the temple that uh, you know just Peter lifted up and. He was healed and that sort of thing. Wouldn't it be really cool if we saw something like that actually happen? Wouldn't it even be cooler if we experienced something like that ourselves? Well, I just want to remind us of something, and that is this. Before we go any further, and that is that you should see yourself as the greatest miracle of all knowing that you are dead in your trespasses, and knowing that God has brought you to where you are, that God has saved you, he's transformed you, he's made you anew, he's made you a different person. So if you want a miracle, you don't have to look any further than yourself. You're that miracle. If it wasn't for God acting in you, you would still be out there. He wanted you, he brought you, He did everything necessary to make that a reality. He transformed you to make that a reality. And let me say this. You know, we've had some conversations about about evangelism just recently. And there are some really good evangelism programs out there. And you need to understand that we are all called to be evangelists, maybe some more than others. But every believer should be able to tell other people what happened to them, why they are where they are, and how they got to be where they are. We all have a testimony, and what I'd say to you is your greatest, one of your greatest uh, tools in your evangelism toolbox is your own testimony. I'm not sure I ever share Christ with anybody uh, on more of a personal one-on-one basis that I don't tell them about me. Especially when I sense the person that I'm talking to is an unbeliever. Because I I know, you don't know where I am, but I know exactly where you are. (laughs) Because I was there. You, in fact, are a miracle. God has breathed life into an otherwise dead person. I want to say this this morning, and you've heard me say this before. We use the word all rather loosely. Sometimes we literally mean all, but sometimes we don't really literally mean all. We mean a lot of, or the majority of, or a great number of, or something like that. And the context in which we're using it in usually is obvious to us and other people as to what, we're, what our intention is in using that particular word. Uh, the word all is used here. But we have, to lo- we have to let context determine for us what the real meaning of the word all or pause in Greek actually happens to be. As we said before, it doesn't always mean literally all. But in this particular case, as it's used here in this context, we have no reason to conclude it means anything less than absolutely everyone <laughs> The apostles have inherited a lot from Jesus. Uh, And one of those is the opposition. Those who had so staunchly and sternly resisted Jesus continue to do the same thing now. The priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees Just as they did with Jesus, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Because they were jealous. Just think of this. There's a sense in which in the Jewish community, these guys had been the preachers and this, that, and the other, and they're seeing... People responding to these guys and to their message in a way that they have never seen anybody respond to their own message. Many, many thousands, 3,000, then 5,000, now maybe it's 10,000. The apostles are experiencing probably the greatest evangelism wave in the history of the church. Growing exponentially daily. There probably has been nothing that comes close to it ever. And just as the Sadducees and Pharisees and the other Jewish leaders were jealous of Jesus, we need to understand something, that one of the principal reasons they killed Jesus was because they were jealous of him. And we see the same jealousy now becoming more and more a part of the picture here with the apostles. I mean, things are going on here that they simply cannot under, uh, explain. They have no explanation of this lame, lame person who is now up walking around and praising God. So what do they do? They put him in jail. For no other reason than they had no other way, they thought, to simply shut them up, to get them out of the public eye, to take their farm away from them. They're trying desperately to douse the fire that is spreading, raging through Jerusalem. Now I seriously doubt that anyone in this room has ever suffered one day of imprisonment because of their faith in Jesus. That's not true for a large percentage of our brothers and sisters through the history of the world and even today. We have brothers and sisters in places that are imprisoned as we're speaking for the only reason that they refuse to deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. Why do people very often do uh, do officials in prison Christians? One of the main reasons is to reduce the size of their audience, to get them out of the public eye, to shut them up, because they don't want people to go after what they're teaching. We live in a wonderful country. That is not a perfect country. There are injustices that take place in the good old U.S. of A. every single day. And if you want to see what a Christianized country looks like, there is no better example than the good old U.S. of A. It is taking the teaching of the Word of God and applying it to the the manner in which we live our life in this world. The founding fathers were believers, and we see that reflected so very clearly in the Constitution and in other things. Have you ever thought about this for a moment? Why in the world did they fight so vehemently that we would have freedom of speech? Why? Why was it so important to them that that is the first right in the Bill of Rights? In a sense, it takes precedent over all the others. Why? Why in the world is freedom of speech so important that it would have that principle and primary position in the Bill of Rights, that it would come before everything else? Have you ever thought about this? Perhaps it was this. It was because these guys were Christians. And they wanted to guarantee to every Christian in the United States that they could freely, without any hindrance at all, share their faith with other people. Without being hindered, without being restricted, that as Christians, they and we would have the constitutional right to freely share our faith with other people without any hindrance from the government. Without any hindrance at all. No threat of being in prison. No threat of being charged with some crime. You and I are freer than any people I have ever been in the history of the world. To share our faith with anybody and everybody that will listen to what we have to say. That is not a right That a huge percentage of our brothers and sisters today and in the past have had. I was thinking about this the other day. Why? Why? Was that so central and so important to them? And I don't think it's a stretch. believe it had everything to do with guaranteeing you and I the right to evangelism. See, this is what these guys are trying to do. They want desperately to shut the apostles up. Just like they did with Jesus. And even though we live in a country as we do, evangelism still is not easy for us to do. You would think that it would be one of the most natural and easy things for believers to do, to simply tell other people about Jesus. Now, with some people, it does seem to come very easily. But for the most part, it's something that the, probably the vast majority of Christians struggle with. And we have reasons for it. Reasons like, you know, I'm afraid that they'll think ill of me or they'll misunderstand or or I won't be able to explain it to them very well and I'll I'll teach them something that's not right or, you, you know, something along those lines. But just as the world was trying to hinder the apostles, This world is trying to do the same thing with you and me. There are a lot of people out there that would love to shut the church down and shut the church up. They have been around since the very beginning of time. This is nothing new. But God has given us a window that he hasn't given to everybody through the history of the world. There are a lot of countries in the world today as we're speaking that if you even try to talk to somebody about Jesus, you can go to the pokey. Anyway, so the, the the apostles spend the night in jail? How many people? I don't know. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> I've never been to spend a night in jail. I don't know what it's like. I can imagine it would be something that anybody would, you know, relish and take great joy and pleasure in, in doing and uh, anything like that. But, uh, you know, so many of our brothers and sisters have experienced things like this in the past, and they are experiencing those things today. Uh but anyway, we know who got, who's in charge. And it's, uh, and it's not these guys, even though they think they are, because God just sends forth one of his angels during the night and he lets the apostles out of the jail. <laughs> and they run for the hills, right? They, they get away from Jerusalem as far as they can, as quick as they can. Is that what they do? No, they just go right back to doing what they were doing <laughs> before. This whole jail thing doesn't have an impact on them, but it has not impacted them the way that the guys were hoping it was going to. It hasn't shut them up at all. If anything, it's made them bolder. (laughs) And the next morning comes, and they're not aware that, that God sent an angel during the night and, and, and let them out of the, the prison, and they've gone back to doing what they were doing before. They, they, they gather together, you know, in the morning to decide what they're going to do with these guys. And they, they, they're thinking they're still in the jailhouse. And so they sent someone there to, to get them, and, they, and, 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 even, and apparently even the guards didn't even know they were gone. The guards were still there guarding the cell, but there was nobody in the cell. <laughs> Amazing! It would be nice to see something like that happen. And what do they do? They don't miss a beat. They go back to doing what put them in jail to start with. And again the masses are responding. People are coming to faith in Christ and growing in Christ. And I love it, you know, they they do they do, they do find them and they rearrest them and they they bring them And the high priest says to them, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And I love what Peter says. And John apparently. We must obey God rather than you. We must obey God rather than men. Let me ask you, what do you think you might do if suddenly we lost our freedom of speech? We lost our freedom to freely assemble here on Sunday morning. What if that was just taken away from us all of a sudden? It's easy for us to speculate what we think we might do. Or what we hope we would do. But because we have never been in that situation, we do not know definitively any of us exactly what we would in fact do. We hope what we would do. We'd like to think what we might do. But when circumstances change drastically, the truth is this, is we really don't know what we would do. Why are you here this morning? There's all kinds of worldly activities and other things going on out there that would be, let's be honest, would be quite fun to participate in. Maybe. (laughs) We're here for a lot of reasons, but one of those is we're here because God told us to be here, and we take what God says seriously. That the Sabbath day is a holy day. A day of rest from the world. And part of that rest means corporate worship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Also constitutionally guaranteed to us. To be able to assemble. Why did they put that one in there? So the government would never be able to tell them that as Christians they cannot go to church on Sunday. Do you think maybe that was part of the picture? And we benefit today because of it? Well, when they heard what the apostles had to say about these matters, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. To murder them. To strike them dead on the spot. But even in the midst of absolute madness, there was somewhat of a voice of reason that spoke a man named Gamaliel, whom you've probably heard of that name because he was the Apostle Paul's primary teacher. Very well-known and respected member of the Pharisees. A renowned teacher of the law. He offers advice, and you see great wisdom in this. Keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overcome them, and then the hammer hitting the nail, you might even be found opposing God. there's a sense in which they listen to his advice. They let him go after they beat him first. Some of you are familiar because you happen to be here and were part of it, of the very beginnings of Springs Presbyterian Church. We were... (laughs) We started out on some pretty rough ground and, and that sort of thing. Uh, we were not, a, we're, not, were not officially a Central Florida Presbytery church plant. In other words, there are a lot of churches that are a part of our presbytery now that at one time were Central Florida Presbytery church plants, and they were funded by Central Florida P- Presbytery. They got money from our presbytery to do the church plant. We didn't get anything. As a matter of fact, I had to initially petition presbytery to ordain me out of bounds because because Springs Church was not PCA technically from the at the very beginning. We were an independent work, an independent church. But from the very beginning, it was our intention to become. Participants with a PCA. But before I even pursued a lot of this stuff, I went to Presbytery for this reason to get some assurance on my behalf that if i pursued participation in this independent church plant then when it came time for me to be ordained that they would least tender the possibility of ordaining me they were not obligated to do that because it was not a pca work so when i was ordained i was ordained out of bounds Because Springs Presbyterian Church was not initially a PCA church. And what I've told people is this is basically the Presbytery took the Gamaliel approach. And that is, who's to say if this is a thing of God or not? God, is Keith being called to do this? Is this really going to be a a legitimate church? So on and so on and so on and so on. Well, no one here can say. So we're going to grant permission to them to pursue it, but they have no guarantee that we're going to ordain him. In other words, he still has to pass all of his exams and everything else, and there's no guarantee that Spring's Presbyterian Church is ever going to become part of the Presbyterian Church in America. the reason I bring that up is it's just a clear example of what I call the Gamaliel approach. I mean, the last thing Presbytery wants to do is to get in the way of God doing something. And they didn't know at this point in time whether this was a God thing or this was just some other thing. So they decided the best thing for the Presbytery to do is just sit on the sideline and let us do our thing and see how things go. And I would imagine in the minds of a lot of the guys at Presbytery, the day they made that decision, the words of Gamaliel, the last thing you want to do is something that is going to come across or actually stand in opposition to what God's doing. And it should be true for absolutely every single one of us. So they took Amaliel's advice, but before they did that, they beat him up again, and they charged them not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. (laughs) Can you imagine these words? The apostles left rejoicing. Rejoicing. They just had the mess beat out of them. Because they were given the great privilege of suffering for their faith. Suffering for Jesus. And it surprised them. It amazed them that they were counted worthy to do it. Does anybody here really like to suffer? I would imagine that one of the most prominent pastimes of most people is trying to figure out ways to avoid suffering. <laughs> you know, we, we look upon people. There are people who seem to like to suffer, and we think they're looney tunes, right? We even have people that are called masochists, people that seem to enjoy <laughs> pain in one way or another sadly this is not the last time the apostles will suffer for Jesus they have a history of suffering over the next years they will be arrested and they'll be rearrested. they will be beaten they will be etc. 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 over and over again it's not the first and last time all of them with the exception of John will die horrific deaths because they were faithful to Christ John was the only one that evidently died from old age but you need to understand something that by the time John was old he suffered a lot Because he was afflicted physically so many times in his lifetime by people. In other words, John was beaten more than this one time. And in his old age, he had lots of aches and pains. But they say he would go around, you know, and this is not long before he died. He probably didn't talk a lot and that sort of thing, but he would go around and Is telling everybody to love Jesus. Love Jesus. The history of the church is, in fact, sprinkled with the blood of the martyrs. Have you ever heard the phrase "the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church"? Wherever the the blood of Christians are shed and the church takes root and grows and blossoms. Unfortunately, there's some truth in that. We said last week we live in a great place, not a perfect place, but a grand place, a great place compared to what most other people experience in their life. I don't think there's anyone in this room that is concerned at this moment at all about possibly giving their life for Jesus in the next 20 minutes or the next 24 hours or the next year or at any point in their lifetime in a sense. But reality is this, is that as Christians, we are called Daily, moment by moment, to die to sin and to live unto Christ. How often, seriously, do we think a whole lot about that? When was the last time you thought about your own sin? Let me tell you, there's something to be said for glorious Christian living. In other words, there really should be a great sense of joy and fulfillment and all that stuff that comes in your association with a church. But we need to understand that being a Christian is not always a bed of roses. It just is not. It's part of our plight. What would you do if you were beaten because you were a Christian? The answer is you don't know. It's one of those things you don't know until you've done it. <laughs> I mean there's a like to like to think, or I hope you know that this is what I would do or I wouldn't do that, and, and whatever, but reality is this: we don't know, but I can promise you one thing. And that is that Jesus will never call you to do anything he will not enable you to do and to bear. No matter how bad it may seem. We are weak people. But he is a strong savior and god and he does unbelievable things through fragile and broken and weak people like you and me all the time It is very quite likely that even in today's world, that during the time of this worship service, we've had a brother or sister or many brothers and sisters who have paid the ultimate price. We must not forget about them, we must not forget about their plight. They need to know that we are there with them. And that's one of the reasons why it's important for us to be engaged in ministries in place like, places like Uganda and Honduras and other places. Because in those places, they don't have freedom of speech and et cetera like you and I do here. to be mindful of others. I mean, God has blessed us just unbelievably. (laughs) He really has. And I don't want to, and let me say, when I say things like that, I don't mean to belittle the real suffering that people endure. I mean, we really do. All of us. Suffering is part of everybody's life. It's part of everybody's life that's ever lived. Was it part of Jesus' life? Anyway, we are going to administer the Lord's Supper this morning.